Welcome to the Standard Age Podcast, a casual conversation about the lives of entrepreneurs and those growing companies. I can't thank you enough for listening as these episodes have been a wonderful supplement to the line of apparel that I'm thrilled to share is steadily growing. If you like what you hear, please visit standard-h.com and sign up for our email list. The website not only hosts every episode of this show, but also allows you to explore the entire product assortment and our latest travel recommendations. As an email subscriber, you will be the first to receive product release information as well as receive offers no one else is privy to. Just visit standard-h.com for more information. Seeing Standard H worn by a growing number of watch enthusiasts has been incredibly cool to witness, so chances are good if you're listening to this, you're probably an enthusiast already. However, if not, it makes no difference as Passion Find Jewelry welcomes everyone into their shop in Solana Beach, California. If you're already in deep, you'll know some of the brands that Tim Jackson and his team carry, which are some of the most highly sought-after independent watch manufacturers sold today. Names like Roger Smith, Grunfeld, Kudoke, Habring, Sarpaneva, and many more. If you can't make it to California, visit passionfinejewelry.com for their entire offering online. This episode is also brought to you by Contonement. Contonement's flagship product, the Kerchief, is a perfect medium between a handkerchief and a bandana. Featuring iconic designs such as the Fender Stratocaster and the dashboard of a Volkswagen GTI, these utilitarian cloths are an item that should be a mainstay in your everyday carry. Tuck one in a back pocket or use one as a neckerchief. Visit them at contonement.co, that's C-A-N-T-O-N-M-E-N-T dot co, and use the code STANDARDH in all caps, no spaces, for 20% off everything in their online shop. Now let's get to the show. As somewhat of a turn of events, I didn't take a break between season six and season seven. Um, I wanted to keep things moving, so... Uh, Today actually marks the launch of Season 7 of the Standard Age Podcast, and it's a special one. Golf. It exists in many ways for many reasons for a ton of people. It's social, and it's escapism. It's a game, and it's difficult. It's gratifying, and it's penalizing. And it's different for nearly everyone that takes up the activity. It can be an obsession for many, and quite literally an addiction for some. But I don't think anyone gives golf more thought than Eric Anders Lang. As founder of Random Golf Club and the host of Adventures in Golf, Eric is one of the most dynamic personalities in the game. I've been a longtime fan and have admired what he's built as a company and a brand, which is why it's such a thrill to have him on the show. I enjoy his enthusiasm, his curious nature, and his overall vibe. We kick things off with some car talk. Eric happens to own one of my favorite 911s, a 993. He eloquently explains how his Porsche enthusiasm began, and it wasn't a poster or a movie. In fact, it might just be the most organic appreciation I've ever heard, which doesn't surprise me. If you follow Eric, you may be like me where you feel like, this dude's just got it. As a creator, his content is absolutely art. In this episode, Eric shares one major thing he wishes he'd done differently, as well as gives us a glimpse into his time working with David LaChapelle, one of my favorite creators of all time. Eric explains why growing the game of golf isn't what he's set out to do and why collaboration is important. Hand in hand, I ask Eric about the genesis and the contribution of his executive coaches. I can't thank Eric enough for his time and I truly admire his and his team's work. They're hands down making the best golf content available. 
I really hope we can do a part two since I had so much more to talk about. But for now, I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Eric Anders Lang. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard Age Podcast. You moved to LA in a Volvo that I want to talk about because you said you had bought and sold it for the same amount of money, which is incredible. What more can you tell us about that car? Yeah, I bought it for, uh, I think I bought it for $1,200 and I sold it. I think I might've even made money. on. I think I sold it for 1300 and it was, you know, it served a lot of purposes like golf, golf cart, uh, you know, a hotel room. I drove all over the country with it. And um, yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful vehicle. Well, you now have, if I'm not mistaken, a 993, 911. Is that right or no? Yeah. Yeah, that is, uh, it's it's also a stick shift. Very similar car, um, you know, it's, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, it's, uh, I think, I think neither car has cup holders actually, so they do have some similarities, and they're both stick shift. So, what got you into the nine nine three? That's my favorite nine eleven of all time. It's a beautiful car. Um, you know, I just I went. I did this job for Chase Bank, and we were like they. they it was like around the Harding Park PGA Championship. And, you know, Chase Sapphire, they're into travel and food. So the idea was I'll drive to San Francisco and eat food along the way and, like, tell a story about that experience, which is, you know, something I would do normally. Um, and they were like, you know, since it's a beautiful drive, we'd love to film you in the car, and we'd like you to be in, like, uh, they, they sent me a picture of, like, a big Mercedes convertible. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And they were like, okay, well, it just has to be a convertible. And I was like, okay. So I went on, have you heard of Turo? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so it's like, if you're listening and you don't know what it is, it's, it's like Airbnb for cars, and it's so cool. It's like, it's like really fun. Like, you can rent, you could rent a 5 Series BMW for $50 a day, which is, you know, cheaper than Hertz or whatever. Right. And it's like the individual just meets you at the airport or whatever. So I found this 911. Um, it was a 2014, uh, convertible 911 and, um, you know, I, it was obviously it was under someone else's budget. So we rented it and, you know, honestly, I, I didn't like it at first cause it was like, uh, really bumpy and like, I, um, you know, I didn't really like the convertible. I thought people who drove around in convertibles were idiots and, you know, ah, look at them, you know, they look like idiots and, you know, and then. And and I was used to I had a Model Three a Tesla and so I was used to like having autopilot and like air conditioning and map ability and like you know just a smart car you know and like about halfway through the trip from Los Angeles to San Francisco I'm in this 911 and I hit like my first turn and I was like oh I got it this yeah. thing <laughs> that's why this car is made it's for turns it's for driving it's not for it's not a car it's not a vehicle it's a it's a driving tool. And it became like all of a sudden I started to experience it kind of like golf. Like when you first learn to shape your shots or, you know, or like photography, when you learn about like, you know, like, you know, putting a ND on the lens or, you know, even the craft of audio, like, you know, you want a nice microphone. How do you use your voice? And the car became this like, like creative thing. And so three weeks later I bought a Porsche, <laughs> like, <laughs> I fell in love with the car. And the only reason I bought a car three weeks later is because my neighbor literally was walking his dog by my house and he was like, Hey, I'm selling my 
997. Because okay. I bought that car just like, because I was like, this is too good to be true. And um, yeah, and I just love, I think Porsche is a great brand. I think, you know, it's interesting about Porsche is that they, um, it's it's a lot of car for not a lot of money, actually. I mean, sure, it's a luxury car. It's expensive. But, right. um, you know, they they really stay true to what they're what they're about which is this like total experience of being behind the wheel and there's not a lot of concessions made you know like bmw it's like you know you got it, it, there's there's four doors there's a trunk you know it's like you're 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 kind of committing you're like you know what i mean like you're getting less right because you're interested in something else yeah totally yeah, no, man, I'm super jealous. I don't own one myself, but uh, I drive a GTI as my daily, and that's oh, I love that car. Such a bang for your buck type of situation. Yeah. Um, but I agree, though. Porsche, I think, though expensive, still punches way above its weight. You know, as far as value. Oh well, I mean, expensive like for the new ones, but I mean, you can get into like a 15 year old Porsche for you know under you know thirty thousand dollars, twenty five thousand dollars. So it's like. You know, sure, like you know, a Tacoma on some level is more expensive than some of some Porsches, you know? Um, yeah, totally. And the maintenance isn't, you know, people are like, oh, the maintenance. It's like, no, not really. Like, they last forever. Like, they've been around for a long time. And you just need to find a mechanic that's not trying to, like, you know, take advantage. Yeah. I think the funny thing about Porsche is, like, a lot of people try to, like, keep the miles low and stuff. But they actually perform better when you drive them more. Like, they want to be driven. Oh yeah, no, I'll frequently like, you know, get back from a trip and the whole mindset is ring its neck. You know what I mean? This car yeah. needs to redline because it's burning off a lot of the carbon and stuff inside the cylinders and you know, it needs that pressure and the heat and uh, to on the seals and all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's Yeah. It's a machine. Like just just like just like, you know, a golf club only works when you really like when you're when you're when you're actually swinging it, you know? Yeah. What does rebellion mean to you? I mean, rebellion is like, um, I, I don't actually think rebellion is very interesting um, because <laughs> like, what, what, like, I, I think, um, yeah, I'm not like, the, the way I picture that is like, is like, I'm going to go stand somewhere with a sign. And, and for me, I would say like, I would, I'm much more of like a peaceful kind of like, I would rather like kind of just, just behave differently or go elsewhere with yeah. my time. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm like too much of like an activist. I'm assuming you're, I don't know what context you're speaking about, but like rebellion for me is kind of like, um, I guess when you make it the word rebel, it starts to sound different to me because then it's an individual activity yeah. and you could just be experiencing the world in a different way and, and staying true to what you find interesting and valuable. But rebellion, I guess had a different connotation to me as though it's a group of people doing something. But right. I think, I think you can only really do yourself. Yeah. I just kind of, I guess in this context associate it more just going against the grain maybe, um, which it's funny. I've heard a lot of interviews with you and, and I've been a fan of yours for a long time and, and have followed the channel, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so like even just, I, I believe I heard a story of you knocking your tooth out or knocking or loose or <laughs> yeah. something, head banging in classical music class or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But so, see, that wasn't rebellion. That was just play. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But I guess I bring it up because of like, it. I just associated that with sort of being a class clown and kind of, yeah. you know, and maybe that's um, boredom. Right. Like I was I was kind of the same when I was a kid. Like I talked okay. all through elementary school, constantly got in trouble. Um, but I had straight A's because I always finished my work and then I disrupted everybody else. <laughs> like, right. Right. Um, so it was it was just kind of weird in that sense. And so I was just kind of curious as to like like what your thoughts are and like the, the idea of commitment. Right. Because if you're a class clown, you got to commit to the bit, so to speak. You know what I mean? And like. Um, and you and I are both, I think, very self-proclaimed sensitive guys. So Uh, just, just having, it's just that dichotomy of being sensitive, but yet overtly confident in our abilities to maybe commit to the bit. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear you describing it because for me, it's like, it wasn't really much of that for me. It was, for Mm. me, it was more like just, um you know, um, stupidity, okay. um, <laughs> lack of regard, um, for consequence, like didn't even consider it. Like it would be like, you, you know, it was just like, if I was my own parent, I would probably more, I would probably the most common phrase I would have said to myself if I was parenting myself would have been, are you even thinking? Right. 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 Like you're not, there's no consequences to what you're thinking. And ultimately over time I developed the ability to, you know, consider the consequences of an action. But, you know, at that time it was just being young. Like it was just like full short-term hedonist, full, Mm -hmm. like just, you know, um, um, yeah, I guess the commitment to the bit, um, is what you could describe it as, but internally, um, I mean, it wasn't a bit, it was just, it it was just, uh, the right thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, I'm not stopping until this thing is broken and I'm talking about my leg or whatever. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it's just, I don't understand. Yeah. Really even. You're from New Jersey. I'm also from the East coast originally. What do you remember most about your childhood? Um, I think, you know, like, mentally you know we're designed to remember the experiences that are painful Mm. um that's just humanness right like you want to not put your hand on a hot flame so let's make sure we don't forget that that experience and i think that also um you know happens when it comes to like emotional things or social things so like i got in trouble every year i think I think, you know, what was the question? What what was the most memorable thing? Or, or Yeah, like what do you remember most about your childhood? Like is it an event or just like a vibe or I remember um being um, you know, the youngest of three and having an older brother and sister beyond like seven or eight years. Like my sister was like eight and a half, my brother was nine and a half years older than me. Got it. So I remember being part of like a family where they were much older than me, and then all of a sudden being an only child. And at the same time, I remember the dynamic of our family changed because my dad went from doing research full time as a scientist, as a physicist to doing management, which resulted in uh, more hours, more stress and more money. Hmm. And, you know, at the time I didn't know any of this, but here I am third grade, nine years old. I didn't know what was happening, but I did know that all of a sudden we weren't cooking at home anymore. 
I knew that instead of driving to Virginia, we flew to the Cayman Islands. And so it was an interesting experience to watch, you know, my dad, who in a lot of ways is a lot like me, sort of pulling a thread of curiosity in the world. And for him, it was atomic particles, nuclear physics, (laughs) and, you know, uh, dry ice, right? Like just like the magic of the world for him represented on a molecular level. Right. For me, it was more social and spiritual and, and kind of like, you know, coincidental. Um, and, and I'm more speaking to my experience now, which is that now my life feels very, um, work oriented and, you know, management oriented. And, um, so therefore it's more stressful, (laughs) a little less fun and a little bit more, um, you know, there's more money involved. And when I say that, I mean, you know, the phrase more money, more problems is, is true. And so it's, I I just, am thinking about that now because I, you're asking me a question about my past. I can only comment on it from right now. So I imagine next week I would have a different answer. But, right. you know, the interesting experience is reflecting on how the family dynamic changed very rapidly around my father's job selection and on his desire to provide and create long-term, you know, stability for the family. And, um, you know, I think, I think that had an impact on me, whether I even know what that is right now or not. Um, but I'm relating to it now in a different way. Yeah, that's really interesting. My dad had a couple different jobs, but I never really felt any different. I guess maybe his different jobs paid him roughly the same, so life wasn't really that different, but that's interesting. What was your first job? I was telling the story yesterday. I, um, I, uh, so my neighbor on my street was the O'Donnell family, and they had a, a couple sons, and the oldest son was Neil O'Donnell, who ended up going on. He was a great pitcher at our high school, and he ended up going on to pitch for the Pittsburgh, uh, sorry, a quarterback. He was a great quarterback in high school for the football team, and he ended up going to um, QB for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he was in the Super Bowl. He lost, but um, yeah. you know, he was in the fucking Super Bowl. Um, amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I remember throwing the ball with him as a kid, and he had like a fucking gun, you know? And his youngest brother, Jack, uh, was... Um, you know, older than actually, he was older than Neil, but he had Down syndrome. And Jack and I would hang out on the street. And, um, you know, later, a few years later, I ended up getting my first job at the supermarket where I bagged groceries. And Jack also worked there and he returned the shopping carts. Sure. And um, everyone knew Jack. And everyone would wave at him. And I just think he must have had the best job ever, you know, because it was physical. He's outside, you know, social. Everyone really cared about him in our town. Yeah. And, you know, I was a part of that for about a year as a 16-year-old. Um, my first real job with a paycheck. Um, and, yeah, I bagged groceries. And I, and I really I loved it. I loved bagging groceries. I don't know why. It was before plastic bags. Um, <laughs> you know, now plastic bags just took all the art out of it, you know, and. You got two bags, you flick it before the handles even. There were no handles on the bags. Right, you right. flip it open, two in one, boom, you're good. Here you go, Mrs. Finch. And she's on her way, you know? Oh, that's Take them out to the car for her, you know, meet Jack, hang out, you know? What was the first CD you ever paid for with your own money? So the first CD I ever paid for with my own money was Bonnie Raitt. Um, and I don't remember the name. I think it was called Time, Keeping Time. Or I don't remember, but it was the one with Let's Give Them Something to Talk About. Yeah. What a great album, man. Man, that's crazy. I feel like that 
Was that in Bull Durham or like some baseball movie had that song in it? Or maybe it's Ten might Cup. Like I don't. I've, oh, might I, have. I'm just picturing Kevin Costner for some reason. Um, now but, the second album I bought was Easy E. Um, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the album, but it was it was the it it was like one of his main albums. Easy Does It was what it was called. Yeah, incredible. Eric Wright. Yeah, and so it was a bit. Yeah, you know, I had a. I've always had eclectic music taste, but yeah. Right. Bonnie Raitt, straight to Easy. Right, right. What are you into now? Now, um, I mean, I like all sorts of music now. I've been really digging. Um, I, I, so what I do now is I I have like a liked playlist on Spotify where it's just the songs I've liked. And I'll try every week, like whenever I'm in a restaurant or in someone's car or wherever and I hear something I like, I shazam it and put it straight in the playlist. So yeah. like my most recent like songs on my playlist are like this guy, Bakar. Okay. I've been liking him. Um, Tommy Richmond. And Bickle. Anyway, it's just like whatever. But the kind of music is it's kind of like, it's kind of, I guess people call it anti-pop or, or, you know, it's like kind of more like, I don't even know genres anymore. There's so many genres. I don't even know. I just, it's got to have a feeling to it. That's all. Right, right, right. No, I like that. And usually I'm an upbeat kind of guy. So it's usually something upbeat. Right. You dropped out of high school, I know, which fascinates me because, again, going back to like commitment, right? Like, I mean, there's, I mean, you have to commit when you do that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I agree though, because that, what does commitment mean? How do you define commitment? Well, I mean, you're making a decision and you have to live with it. Yeah, but you, that's just what happens. That's not, that's not, you, that's not a choice every day. You don't, you don't choose to. Like I would say commitment is more like staying in school. <laughs> like dropping out was almost the opposite of commitment. Like I was like, I was uncommitted. So therefore I completely let go of the choice. And to say that I don't regret it would yeah. be untrue. Uh, so you do regret it. I was sure. I wish I went to college. Mm. Why? Why? I mean, like a lot of people would say college is useless. Well, it depends on what you're looking for. I mean, I think college is useless if you're looking for job skills um, you know, but I think socially, um, I think, um, you know, it's your first chance to get out in the world. I think it's that toe dip into, into adult life that you get and you develop lifelong friends as a new person, right? In high school, it's like, you're just a product of who you're around in college. It's big enough that you can go out and meet new people. I mean, I ended up doing that on my own, but I, I, I would, I went to breakfast this morning. I live in Austin now, you know, I'm in Austin and it's been two years and, you know, I was at this diner right in UT area, like North Austin, and I was looking around. And I was like, "Man, I wish I went to UT. Like this hmm. place would be really. If I could do everything over again, I would. I would go to UT. That's the only thing I would do differently." Oh, interesting. So, yeah, I know your. You, so your brother got you into photography, which I guess got you into video later. Just the experimentation with cameras, I guess, or you just want to change the medium. So my brother had a dark room. I don't I wouldn't know if he got me into photography, but you know, I was I was getting into it and I used some of his old um, you know, items okay. like like like, you know, the dark room and the enlarger and the things like that. Um and yeah, basically I like developed this love. I don't understand why. I think the camera was kind of like a a compass or a Ouija board, you know, and it was a reason to go out into the world. It was, it created an opportunity for adventure because you're searching. It's something I'm looking for. I don't know what, right? And then, 
Um, yeah, and then eventually, yeah, did, I, I got a digital camera. Then the digital cameras eventually had the ability to record video. And then all of a sudden, someone said, I need a video to be recorded and I'll pay for it. And I said, well, then I will <laughs> subsequently learn how to do that on this job. And yeah, that was the story, really. Right, right. And I know you worked with David LaChapelle. Is there anything that maybe you learned from him that you still use today? Oh, sure. I mean, so many things, right? Like David was a true artist, right? Um, he functioned very well in the world of commerce. His, you know, his ability to um, satisfy a commercial endeavor for a brand, whether it's Lavazza or Playboy or, um, you know, Ford, you know, like um, was was like kind of impressive. I think he learned a lesson early on that I wasn't witness to. Well, I was actually witness to one of them. But basically, you know, he did this job for Rolling Stone and um, he sent the photos in and they were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and he was like, I did what you asked. And they said, no, we want you to do you. Like you didn't, you, you, you stopped being you. And like for me, that's interesting because I mean, look, Random Golf Club is, um, you know, it's not, it's a, it's an art actually right it, it it needs to become a business to some level where like you know we can create a functional and beneficial offering to people and you know that's um you know like its own creative enterprise for me right now but um it's ultimately a very creative idea which is how do we like create a membership that i guess the word you were using was rebellion like how do we rebel against the typical paradigm of golf club mm. and, and that's what we're seeking to understand but then later i saw david like basically doing this photo shoot that wasn't working and they were bringing in the model they were changing the backdrop they were changing the lighting blah 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 and then like the stylist was changing their clothes and then like you know it'd been like 10 hours on this one photo in the studio which is way longer than normal usually it's like you know an hour or two or three but it's maybe it wasn't 10 hours but it was a long time and it was getting weird mm -hmm. right like the music was turned down and and then finally, like the client was there and finally David just got up and he, he took the two models and he said, come with me. And they went back to the dressing room and like 30 minutes later, they came out in different outfits and it was done. Hmm. Like it was perfect. It looked good. And so on some level you realize like, you know, and this is a lesson for me is like, I, I mean, we've developed a team of so many talented people here. The hardest part is communicating what the image and the vision is. And like, I bet going back, like, you know, I mean, Patty Klein was, uh, no, Patty, um, I can't remember her last name, but she was like the most famous stylist at the time. She did um, Sex in the City. Um, but like, you know, like the idea that like there was just some things that like he could see that no one else could. Right. It's kind of interesting, you know, and I like, I like, <laughs> sometimes I think about that and I get kind of stressed out because it's like, oh, wow, like, you know, I don't, in this particular example, for me in my life now, like, I don't, I want to know as little as possible. And I don't want to, you know, I, I just want to be available here to, like, make sure that we're vocalizing the purpose of what we're doing when it comes to Random Golf Club and, you know, but David was definitely a bit of a one-man band, kind of, not a control freak, but certainly, like, extraordinarily creative um, and a wonderfully kind person. Uh, but also, it was very intense working there. And I, I, I would like to have a different experience now as an adult. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's interesting because like the earlier days, I guess uh, it's almost pre-Random Golf Club, right? You were just making videos and documentaries and then it just yeah. kind of grew into Random Golf Club. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So what were like the early, like what was the mission statement for if there was one when you first started making videos? Like what, what drew you or like what inspired you to do it? Well, I mean, I was into videos before golf, so there there was no mission statement then. It was just, you know, late 20s exploring the world, but now hitting a red button mm. as opposed to a shutter, you know, now taking 24 pictures every second. Right. You know, there was no, the, the mission statement was, um, you know, do real work as little as possible, spend as much time like in in a state of pleasure and joy and maintain like creative control. Mm -hmm. Do you like so it was so it was like sleeping in the car was the solution. Mm. You know what I mean like traveling around taking pictures and meeting people and talking and just exploring. Right. That that was the result of that criteria. Why is growing the game important to you now? I don't know that I subscribe to the grow the game mentality. Oh. I, I think grow the game is sort of a phrase that was first uttered by like a massive corporation, which I don't have a problem <laughs> with the idea of massive corporations, but I don't know that grow the game actually supports what random golf club is interested in doing, which is I'm more interested in supporting the new people that come to the game. So I'm more interested I, I, for me, grow the game. It's too vague. What the fuck does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. I need something more specific. So for me, I'm more interested in something like let's create the friendliest golf club on earth or let's become the first and last place that people go when they get into golf. Right. So, eh, you know, growing the game, it could be haphazard, right? It could, it could mean things that I don't necessarily believe in. Mm. You know, I like love top golf. I think it's cool, but does that grow the game? I don't know. Right. Like, yeah. I, I just don't know. Right. Um, you know, does, does like, you know, I, I, I just don't know what grow the game even means. Like, mm. but I do know that like, Golf, maybe more than any other sport, has the ability to actually create an opportunity for both self-knowledge and an authentic community more than any other sport, whether it's a diverse community of people, whether it's age, race, gender, everything, mm -hmm. income, location, right? Or whether it's the deeper understanding of how powerless I am over every goddamn thing in this universe, whether it's my own job, my physical health, or the wherever the fuck this golf ball ends up, I have no control. And so golf teaches you that, and it also allows you to meet people who are learning the same thing at the same time. Right, yeah. No, that's well said, I think. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Be The Ball? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, Be The Ball is really where it all started when it comes to, like, golf content for me. Um, I basically got into golf. I was already into video. And then I started to see that there was this group of people that were using meditation to, you know, improve their own golf games. And I'm not talking about just random people at the municipal course in L.A. I'm talking about, like, Jason Day and Justin Rose and a few others. At the time, Jason Day was going to become world number one based on his meditation routine ultimately. And so I basically saw this opportunity to make a documentary about whether or not golf is a spiritual game measured by a, a scientific study that would basically 
test whether or not people would improve at golf after developing a meditation routine. So if you got better at golf by meditating, you could then create a hypothesis that says golf is a spiritual game. So we did that, and it's coming out this year, but I don't know when, but I'm excited. But that's the beginning of it all. What's What's been the hardest part about creating the film? Persistence, man. Just, like, keep going. You know what I mean? Like, it's a fucking constant drip, and you got to stay focused on it, you know? It's 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 a lot. I Luckily, there's a lot of people who have helped throughout the whole process, whether it's the first producer that I worked with or the editors, camera operators, the, the you know, the people helping me do the, the experiment at USC and, or the, you know, kind of post-production house that's finishing it. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just like, you know, it's like persistence, man. Are you in front of the camera for this or are you more behind it? I didn't want to be in front of the camera ever, but yes, for this, for the purposes of narrative, yes, I am. And that's ultimately what led to me doing Adventures in Golf is that these people at the PGA Tour saw me like hosting this documentary trailer and they were like, yo, um, you're good at it. <laughs> you could host something. And I'm like, you got the wrong guy, but if you're paying, I'm, I work for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, as somebody now in front of the camera who's spent so much time behind it, like how do you manage sort of the creative process? I mean, for me, my favorite part about the creative process is the collaboration that's involved and also the unknowns, right? So like when you do the magic eight ball and you get the option that says, uh, ask again later right. or whatever, <laughs> you know, that's the universe when you're traveling. You know, Kurt Vonnegut has one of my favorite quotes ever, which says, um, you know, peculiar travel suggestions are dancing lessons from God. Mm. And so when we combine, you know, um, I guess my point of view when it regards those things, a camera as a form of a creative device of editing out the world to show you what I want you to see. And then the unknowns of what happens in an event, the definition of adventure is to not know what's going to happen and it should include something dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you combine those three things, um, you know, you end up with something creative when it comes to a film that I really love. Um, and so for me, it's a collaboration with the universe, with people that you haven't met with the location with yourself, you know, you're kind of like as a producer slash director slash talent, it's like a, also your oh, do we stay here? Do we go? So many decisions that come up. And then obviously, most importantly, it's whoever's with you on that trip, right. whether they're a producer or a filmmaker or a op- sound operator or whatever. You know what I mean? You're constantly in this state of creation, which is just like, um, for me, that's like my favorite place ever is just, you know, f- it's like the pitcher's mound for like, you know, a person who's, you know, about just just so comfortable up there, you know? Right, right. Yeah, totally. Well, we sort of glazed over it, I guess. So <laughs> can you describe what Random Golf Club is for sure, those yeah. listening that may not know what it is? Yeah, Random Golf Club is uh, a global community of local golfers. You know, um, We sort of create content that people find them like find themselves attracted to based on the, usually it's an inspirational message about why we're here and why we play the game. And mm-hmm. then that ends up filtering into um, our world of e-commerce where we make products that like really like aim to like 
change the way golf looks, right? Golf looks very stale and like it's very boring, but the ability for us to be able to make things that like, you know, are pretty attainable as far as cost and pretty like special as far as design. Um, and then the third part of Random Golf Club is our community uh, aspect where we create events and meetups wherever we go. So, you know, like the last one we did, we were in London. We had 150 people come out. We played golf on the same hole. It was a riot. Rick Shields was there. Um, we did a podcast. We had like a challenge. And, um, and then we're also developing currently a way to join a membership in Random Golf Club where people will be able to connect locally so when i say a global community of local golfers i mean just that like around the world there are a hundred or more ambassadors that represent random golf club in their area where they can you know hold events like i was just in vegas last week 40 people came out to this random golf club las vegas meetup at five iron this simulator um you know uh, location and basically like all these people um are able to like you know connect there and and i went as a surprise i didn't tell anybody and i showed up and like you know obviously a few people were like hey eric you're the guy from the videos you you invented random golf club but there was a lot of other people that were there and like hey was this your first time oh cool and it was really special for me because i yeah. never made this thing to be about me like it was always supposed to be about you and about us and about the game and about like never like i wasn't never ever did i want to be the face or the voice of anything right and so it's kind of, I think about the matrix a lot where it's like, I'm not the one, <laughs> but then somehow like the fucking universe has just kept pushing me in this direction. And now it's like, okay. But the goal now is to create a situation where like you were talking about with random golf club, where the videos can be hosted by other interesting people who have, you know, other adventures to go on that they've never experienced who are better at golf or have different perspectives or like came from a different place or want to go to a different place and then start creating, you know, a, a deeper line of like uh, equipment and accessories and apparel for people to be able to like, you know, get into golf in an affordable way and like represent a game that they're fucking passionate about that these massive corporations just make into this like corporate suck and then also be able to like find their community in the real world yeah by using the tools that random golf club provides that's like what random golf club is and that's a long elevator pitch so no that's cool you know that's what that's what this medium's about <laughs> yeah um no thanks for for describing it for everybody but um i know you've you've mentioned that you guys use executive coaches and I'm, yeah. I'm personally like, this is the first company I've ever started standard H and, and like you, I never wanted it to be about me, which is, is why it's not called Wesley Smith. But, uh, I wanted to kind of understand better, like how you went about finding these executive coaches and sort of like, um, kind of what they mean and, and do for you. Yeah. So like most things in my life, man, Random Golf Club isn't just a name. It's like, it's a way of living, dude. It's just everything just kind of appears, but you have to ask for it or know that it, you need it. Mm -hmm. And so basically I, I matched with this girl on a dating app like four years ago. Okay. And it took us two years to actually ever meet because I was traveling. She was traveling. I got a girlfriend. She got a boyfriend. All of a sudden it's COVID and we finally meet. And this is like two years ago. And, um, we're not a match, right? Clear, clear immediately, right? Like I meet her, we meet her. So, oh, okay, we're not going to like date. But we go have dinner and um, she's telling me about this life coach that's changed her life. Hmm. 
and I was going through, I guess, you know, everybody's going through COVID. I was also going through a breakup and, you know, work was uncertain and I was starting to have some questions about work. So I said, uh, I'd love to talk to your life coach, you know, and it's just like, never had thought about a life coach. Um, I had been in therapy in my life. I, I love the idea of psycho psychotherapy and psychology and stuff. So I had to go meet this life coach, Nora. And, um, immediately just like this switched on experience. Really? So we're working together for a while. And then after a month or three, I'm like, I got a, I need an executive. I need someone to help me. I'm having a problem in my business. And ultimately it was a problem of communicating what I really wanted deep down inside, even in the face of potentially having someone walk away from that. Right. It would be like, it would be like going into a relationship with a, a person that you're dating and you would say, I want to have two kids mm -hmm. and I'm inflexible on that. And they would say, well, I don't want any kids. And you say, okay, well then we might as well not date anymore. Right. And I kind of was having that in business where I was realizing that there was things that I felt like in my own relationship to business with at that point, someone that was working with me as my partner at the time, I was like, we saw the business a little differently. Mm -hmm. So the executive coach came out of a need. Right, like I just had a specific need, and that's really the whole way my life has worked. Is and and Elon Musk talks about this. Like, don't give someone a hammer and just say, "Here's what a hammer is." Give them a hammer and then give them a nail, like, right. and then tell them they got to go solve this problem. And so for me, it's always been about a problem to solve. And so the problem at that time was ultimately like, you know, I need advice. I need um, kind of a criteria for you know like how I'm going to run my business. Where it's going to be like compassionately patiently mm -hmm. with gratitude all of these things curiously right so we developed a lot of these ways of thinking and ultimately over time like the the initial reason for wanting to meet with these executive coaches came to a head mm. right and my business partner and i ended up separating and splitting ways mm. because of the same things that was happening when i originally wanted to talk to them it just took me two years it was a long pimple to pop right. but like <laughs> you know that was like a really valuable like experience that just without them, who knows what would have happened. And without some of the problems, but we, we need to really remember too, like problems are good and, yeah. and setbacks are, are crucial because without that setback, number one, you probably wouldn't have learned what you needed to learn. And two, you could be worse off later. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to that Jocko video where he's like, setback, good. Right? There's right. no such thing as good or bad news. On a long enough timeline, any bad news could become good news and any good news could become bad news. So let's not try and judge the news and let's just accept it and move forward with action. So it's a weird relationship with these executive coaches, but ultimately um, we're on the same tone and wavelength of just like, you know, curiously walking through the universe of business. It's yeah. been really interesting. What was like an example of something that you wanted to do that maybe your business partner didn't want? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> oh, man. Um, or is it the list is too long? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find a good egg here. Um, I mean, a good example, I mean, I mean, like, I'm going to just answer more generally. Um, sure. But I think... Generally speaking, um, or is it more of like a culture thing, not really a to-do list thing? Um, it, it, it's it's a it's that yeah, it's a culture thing, right? It's like how do we present 
in the world of business to business, we do a lot of business to business, right? We, we work with a lot of other companies as a media partner and as a collaboration partner in products. And, you know, um, so there's partly that it, it was more like, just like what we wanted from the business. I see. Right. And therefore what we were willing to give to the business. Right. And ironically, the more you want from the business in some cases, the less you want to give to the business. It's sort of a totally similar to like, um, there's a, I did a, podcast recently where we were talking about the live tour Mm -hmm. and to some extent corporate greed sure and greed i think is really uh one of the essential problems of today's world where we just want to keep taking and for me random golf club was never ever about taking it was always about giving and creating create creating what the fuck is creating right like if you're really creating something like it it's it serves the world it they people people consume it like they do food yeah and that's nourishing so if we're a real creator we have to make sure that like it's got the you know nourishment that is required Mm -hmm. and i think on some level we didn't really see that the same way right and and i have very high bar for what is nourishing creation and for the community for the products or for the media Right, those are the three business lines that we have at Random Golf Club. So, how do we like make each one the most, you know, nourishing creation? Yeah. Um, and I think you know we just didn't like share that same mindset. I think it was kind of like, you know, there was an aspect of like, good business is important, and Andy Warhol says that's the best art. But at the same time, um, it has to have meaning and value. Yeah. Uh, spiritually. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I think I guess I don't know what I took from that is sort of the just underlying theme of good quality. Yeah, um, which I think quality. which I think you guys do well. Like I, I own your products; they're all made extremely well. All the video, the cinematography, especially like it's all great. Like I think you guys are producing, and this isn't me kissing your ass; it's me just calling it what it is objectively, and it's good filmmaking. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we work hard on that, right? That's part of our craft. That's one of the things that we create. Yeah, it's it's unbelievably entertaining. It's it's spiritual in a sense, and um, uh, you feel something. Yeah, which is kind of the goal, I think. For on if I could put words in your mouth, right? Like you, um, I feel something anyway. Um, one thing that is the goal. One the goal is to either educate, entertain, or inspire. Right. One of the three or two if two if good, three if great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's awesome, man. Um so again, thank you for your time because it, it means a lot to have you on the show and um you serve as an inspiration to me and my little brand that I'm a one man band in so far and and growing. So it's 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 awesome. Um, I love that, man. Well, however I can be of service to you, uh, I would, you know, love the chance. I, I see a lot of books on your shelf that I either own or uh, <laughs> have known about. Well, if you want to read them, I'll send them to you. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, no, it's all good. And thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, it would absolutely love a part two or, or to connect some way if you're ever up in L.A. I live in San Diego, so I'm down here. So, oh, cool. Um, um, I know you're pressed for time. Your channel has gotten me into more. So I'm a golfer, obviously, and and 
you have kind of pushed me more into the architecture interest as well, of courses and such. And um, so my parents live in Pinehurst. I haven't played the cradle yet. You played it with Gil Hans like himself. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious, like, what are your markers for a good golf course? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I just like, for me, like, I don't, I don't really like. Or does it matter? Good, is it yeah, just it the experience? I mean, good, yeah. Good golf course is like number eight on the list for me. Like mm-hmm. number one is who you're with. Yeah. Right. Number yeah. two is how do you feel? Like, have you, have you taken care of the things in your life to go enjoy this activity? That's cool. Right. Like, c- can you experience this? Right. Like, and for me, a lot of times that means I'm playing nine holes, right? Like I can't, I can't, sometimes I can't really go play 18. Right. Number three is like, what time of day is it? Right. Like mm-hmm. it should be either early morning or late evening. Mm-hmm. That's just mathematical. Right. Um, number four, like, is there a dog with you? Like, are you, you know what I mean? Like, is there music? Like, are you wearing a collar? Hopefully not. Right. Like, are you tracking the game for what it is, 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 and are you giving to the experience? Are you, are you curious? Are you asking? Are, are you with a group of people that's also curious? Are you engaged in conversation about ideas? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like your time is a record and you are recording a moment that can't ever be changed. So why ever would you use a moment unintentionally? So go out and make golf the most beautiful song you can um, because you don't get a chance to mulligan the round. And even if you drop another ball, the idea of a mulligan is a fantasy. Right. You're hitting a second ball. Right. So just play that first ball and play that day like as it lies. And I, that's, for me, that game of golf. Like It's not really about the greens. Right. <laughs> if someone's talking about the speed of the greens, it's kind of like, wait, I'm sorry, did I get on the wrong bus am i going to the wrong right, place right 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 i played oakmont the other day in pittsburgh i was with a guy who was like talking about the green speeds and i was like i get it i get it. that's normal i get it we can talk about the green speeds that's very like one-dimensional mentality. it's like talking about the weather that's exactly what it is you get you nailed it wesley that's exactly what it is do you know what i mean it's like what what you hit the putt either harder or softer like let's yeah. let's keep it moving yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it's so true well, I look forward to playing golf with you sometime. I'm sure I'll be in Southern California soon. Where do you live down? Where do you play mostly? Um, I try to play Tory as much as I can. Uh, it's hard to get on, obviously. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of um, the nation's member. I'll play wherever. Uh, Love that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm. I've wanted to play San Clemente, the little nine hole course there. I haven't played that yet. I've been wanting yeah, to. Yeah, I want to go down there, and I'm and I love Brendan Thomas, the publisher of golfers journal and yeah, yeah john yeah. ashworth and and Machinelli. you guys got a great golf crew down there i'd love to come back there's a lot of things that we could talk offline about that we have commonalities yeah. on and including chris durr shout out chris because i met him on an love airplane <laughs> i literally no way I, I heard his voice boarding the plane i turned around i was like you're from random golf clubs <laughs> channel i swear to god Wait. I, I lo- you got to open with that, dude. That's too good. Dude, I swear. So like uh, you and I, we need to like have lunch or go play that nine hole course. Like the, we could. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I hate that we're pressed for time because I have, I, know, I have three hours of questions that I had for you <laughs> and I've, um, I enjoyed it, but I do kind of want to do some rapid fire shit because like, sure. I know you've had a hole in one, but I don't think I've ever heard what course was it on. Yeah. So it was at rustic Canyon on the um, oh, sixth hole. 
Nice. Yeah, 200 yard par three, obviously. Um, yeah, it was like my second year of playing golf, and so wow. Scratch actually asked me to lie when I did the bra- the hole in one episode in Adventures in Golf, and I supremely regret it because I I didn't understand how how authenticity works on the internet. And I just didn't, <laughs> this was before adventures of golf was even a thing. And they were like, well, it's more interesting if you haven't had a hole in one. And I was like, but I have. And they're like, well, but like, it's more interesting if you haven't from this narrative of this episode's perspective. And I was like, but I have. <laughs> and they were like, well, and I was just like, what the fuck is going on? And like, to be honest with you, after season two, I almost quit doing adventures in golf. I'm so glad I didn't. And I was able to actually navigate the difficulties of what was a, basically a partnership between two businesses. One being, Eric Anders Lang, soon to become Random Golf Club, and PGA Tour doing business as Scratch TV. Anyway, yeah. long answer, but yeah. I had a hole-in-one. Oh, man. Yeah. And I, had, and I had to lie about it. When playing championship courses with the stands there, does it help you or hurt you? Because, like, can it act as, like, a, like, visually, I'm saying? It's a backdrop. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a backstop. It's like, it's like a backboard. Yeah. You can hit off of it, and it's easier to play. I mean, it doesn't really distract if you're, you know, it's just... It's just exciting to see. It's all dressed up. It's kind of like mm-hmm. it's got its kilt before the wedding, you know? Yeah. You're an F1 fan, which I cannot Love leave it. this out, as am I, obviously. Uh, what do you make of the season so far? I mean, not as interesting as last season. That's for dang sure. <laughs> uh, I haven't been watching recently. I've been kind okay. of traveling. I have, I've watched a half hour of television in the last two months which is sort of good and bad. That's kind of my dream, actually. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I watched The Bear, that Dutch cooking show. Do you like Um, it? uh, I mean, it was very stressful. Oh, I also watched the first episode of We Crashed. That was also stressful. It's like these two like really intense like work stories, and I'm just like, I I can't. I have enough on my own. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I honestly haven't been as tuned in as I'd like to have been this season. Do you have a team or a driver that you follow? I mean, I was always really into Lewis Hamilton. Like, I love how he's just inspiring and, like, you know, um, you know, he's trying to do, like, what is essentially the impossible. Right. Um, and maybe next year it'll happen. Um, I like uh, – I really like Lando Norris, too. Um, not only is he a golfer, obviously, yeah. but he uh, he's just got good energy and, you know, he's a really good driver. And it's cool to see the dichotomy of young and old and the styles. Right. He's very polite, too. You rock a Tudor Black Bay GMT, which is – a, a solid choice what drew you to the watch well i mean you know like when when um when i started to learn about the idea of what a gmt was and that its purpose originally was to support pilots who were you know traversing time zones yeah um i found that really personally interesting and and the idea of a watch being really the the in my opinion the only appropriate male jewelry um, that we can acquire to celebrate our own achievements. Um, I bought it when I did my first job for the USGA, which was making a series of films and hosting a symposium in Japan. And like, it was this big deal. And, and I, and I used the money that they paid me to buy this watch. Um, and, uh, unfortunately I don't wear the watch that much anymore cause I bought an Apple watch and that <laughs> kind of has a tremendous amount of functionality. I did have a GMT hand, um, on the dial on my yeah, uh, yeah I, 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 I use the it's kind of cheeky but yeah I really that watch to me says adventure it's it, it reminds me like that the world is only 24 time zones right right yeah that's cool well I, you have a heart out in like two minutes so I'm going to borrow one of your questions do you have any questions for me <laughs> sure what's your uh, what um, 
What interior color should a car be? Ooh. I mean, it's it's it, there's I I don't think it's one because I think it also depends on the exterior of the color of the car. But I mean, the the easy way out is to say black, but I'm gonna say charcoal gray because that's even more versatile. Interesting. Uh, something that hides dirt. I don't know. Yeah. I think of like usability. I actually drive my cars. I wear my watches, you know, these kinds of things. Like I don't baby right. any of my equipment. Uh, I don't use, you know, iron head covers, you know, like I, even though I love my irons and think they're beautiful. Um, yeah. Dark charcoal. Yeah. And do you, um, do you, have you had a hole in one? I have not. I've, okay. Yeah. So I too played baseball as a kid. And, oh, cool. What position? Um, almost all of them, but primarily second base. But I pitched. Cool. I caught for two years. I, I started at third because I was the only six-year-old that could get the ball across the diamond. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what about I you? It. I know Baseball's you played. a great game. Catcher. You were a catcher. Yeah, dude, I loved that yeah. position because you yeah. feel invincible. I was just good at talking shit. Yeah. The- <laughs> nice. Oh, this is the chatterbox. Yeah, I just love feeling invincible. Like, I just, it, it was a really, really fun. But I caught for, like, the we had, like, the fastest pitcher in the league on our team. Ooh. And, dude, that guy, I mean, my hand was hurting by the end of the game. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah you, need but, to, you need to make sure you catch that one on the edge of the glove. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the pocket. Yeah. Um, and then you throw, and just how many people you throw out at second? That's an amazing time. I don't remember how many, but it did happen. But good God, that's a gratifying feeling. It's so exciting. Um, Eric, thank you so much for the time. Let's play golf. Um, we'll get Chris out. He and I are connected. You know, Chris. Okay, Dirk. cool. I love that. Um, yeah, we got to do that. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, soon, soon. A couple months, like maybe September, October. I'll be out. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I'm around. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. Looking forward to seeing you. Okay, Bye. cheers. This wraps up this episode of the Standard Age Podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd love it if you'd share it with a friend or two. And if you have a moment, please rate and review the show as it helps others discover these episodes. It absolutely helps far more than you realize. Shout out to Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful for the theme track, as well as Clear Audio for the noise-canceling headphones. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one. Take care. Take care.